for me, the AMA is the Alternative Medical Association. Because it's sort of like, you know, we should go there in emergency or we should go when all else fails. And um, and that's definitely not the, the case today. It's for the primary and um, first world nations. But, you know, that is changing. Uh, and it's alternative to who? And it's sort of alternative to the ruling class. And when we look at the who, you know, the statistics of the World Health Organization, I don't know, I've traveled a good amount um, and I've seen a lot of modern medicine, but the World Health Organization says 80% of the world's population uses herbal medicine, uses some form of natural medicine. Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting-edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, so let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Kat Meyer. Kat is the founder and director of Sacred Plant Traditions, a center for herbal studies in Charlottesville, Virginia. In clinical practice for over 30 years, Kat teaches internationally at universities, conferences, and herbal schools. She began her study of plants as a Peace Corps volunteer, and her training as a physician's assistant allows her to weave the language of biomedicine into her practice of traditional energetic herbalism. Her latest book, Energetic Herbalism, A Guide to Sacred Plant Traditions Through Integration of Elements of Vitalism, Ayurveda, and Chinese Medicine will be released fall of 2021, mid-November of 2021. Kat, it is a pleasure to have you with us today. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Oh yeah, very very excited. I was telling Kat I've been di- devouring her her new book, Energetic Herbalism, and by the time this is out there, people will be able to to get a copy of it. Um, it's I'm just learning so much from it. And um, Kat, I, you know, I found out that your path really in terms of plants and evolving with plants and learning from plants really began in the Peace Corps in the late '70s. And I'd love to just find out what sort of sparked your interest back then. Sure. Thanks, Drew. It's um, so wonderful to hear the word devouring because I just love some stories. And I think stories really invite and engage. And that's how I always remember and learn the best. And um, so in the, well, I guess I'll just start when I was 12. Um, I saw a movie on the Peace Corps and I realized, oh, that's what I want to do when I grow up. So I went to college and it sort of didn't matter what I studied. So I defaulted to chemistry and business, which now that I'm an herbalist with the school, it kind of played out perfectly. But um, I knew I wanted science. I knew I wanted some foundation for medicine. Uh, So with the Peace Corps, I went to Chile and Chile uh, they call it the country club of the Peace Corps because it's so rich in natural resources, so beautiful. Um, so we, after training in Santiago, we went into the rural areas and it was quite a, I've said this before, it was the hardest job I ever loved. Um, we were kind of on your own. And so it took a while for the local 
primarily women who were working with plants in the country um, to sort of take me under their wing. And, you know, Drew, it wasn't that I really learned which herbs they were working with. For me, you know, I grew up, I, we never went to doctors, we didn't take herbs, we just didn't really do anything for medicine. And it was this first, I'll never forget, this first cup of herbal tea that, you know, I just drank this and I can't even tell you all the sensations. <laughs> you know, it, I knew it wasn't an entheogenic shamanic plant, but it just touched so many places in me. And I knew this is right. This is medicine. And um, so when I came back, it began this circuitous route to really develop an herbal practice. Because 20, 30 years ago, when I was studying herbalism, we just didn't have the plethora of online programs or schools. We really were um, kind of foraging for our own education, uh, which, you know, really brought lots of incredible experiences and also was one of the reasons I wanted to start an herb school, because it shouldn't have to be that hard. Mm. You know, Kat, just going back, that's that's amazing about just that 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 cup of herbal tea. Do you, do you remember what that herbal tea was? I remember the name in Spanish, but um, I've never been able to find out um, analogous plant. And what it was is um, it was a blend of plants uh, and it was wintertime. So it was, mm. you know, I lived in, in a, an area that was kin to kind of Northern California. So it was winter time and it was wet. And, you know, you live with smoky fires and kind of damp. And um, it was very drying and very warming and moving. Uh, and so it was just the sensation that I really felt, which is what totally turns me on to energetics. Mm -hmm. You know, we have our mental thoughts about plants and their astringents or this, they're that, their digestive tonics. But for me, the incredible excitement is when we begin to differentiate how does this make me feel and really understanding the energetics, because then that allows us to kind of find out on our own, you know, what are my energetics? Um, so it, it, more than the tea, um, and I've thought about this so many times because that's a question many people have asked. And, um, you know, I was 19. I was sort of just finding my way. And but more than anything, I remember the sensations that I felt. Mm. Well, and I guess that brings us to, to the book. And, um, you know, when you talk about energetic herbalism, which, which, you know, I wasn't familiar with really the concept, you know, prior to reading your book, but you write that, this mode of healing is based on the truth that the vital force of nature and the vital force of the human are one and the same. Maybe you could just touch on that whole concept. Yeah, sure. I'd love to, Drew. Because that's sort of the kernel um, of the book. And so energetic herbalism, a lot of people think it might be new agey or crystals, but it's ancient. It's actually ancient traditions. Um, and I go into Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and vitalism, because essentially we're looking at the elements of nature. So we have water and fire and wind and metal, and we have these elements, and we are these elements. 
And so when we understand that the fever and inflammation is heat, is fire, then we really want to be looking for remedies that are cooling, that are soothing, whether that's watermelon, mints, you know, trying to be more intuitive with our foods and herbs. And so for me, you know, essentially the book is a curriculum for my three-year clinical program. But what I did was I wrote it so it would be much more accessible um, to beginners or advanced beginners to really understand their nature. And so when I understand that I'm primarily fire and water, then I'll be aware of what foods I need to either stay away from or ones that are really nourishing for me. And, you know, I, I think the main conversation these days really has to be climate change. And so for me, I thought, well, what's, what's one of the greatest things I can do to really engage people in understanding my nature is the same as the plants is and, and the topography. And so energetic herbalism is reading the inner landscape. Am I damp? Am I dry? Am I um, atrophied? And so these are states uh, within our inner terrain. And so we're looking at instead of you know, yes, we want to treat symptoms. You know, there's this whole thing in herbalism now. Oh, don't treat symptoms, you know, get to the root. Well, you want to make people feel better. You want to help them get out of pain. You want to help them move into that place of um, engaging with their own health. So there are phenomenal plants that, you know, can help mitigate certain issues. But the elements uh, really are the definition of what we're made of. And so with each of the three systems, you know, I really take what I use uh, as how do I define myself? How do I learn what my nature is? And that's such a wonderful way for my life. You know, this is what I'm going to be doing for life. And um, the interesting thing with Ayurveda is they have what's called constitutions, and so it's sort of like small, medium, and large, but energetically, in Ayurvedic language, it's vata, pitta, and kapha, but vata is air and ether, and pitta is fire and water, and kapha is earth and water. And so a kapha constitution, they're large and they're corpulent and you know, they get a bad rap sometimes because people say, oh, they're lazy and they're overweight. They are the most trusted. They are the most grounded. They are earth and water. And so if you want to help, you know, help move some of that density, we bring in the other elements. Let's bring in some fire. Let's bring in some air. And all of the plants represent elements. And so it's, it's a little simpler than it sounds. Um, you know, you think Kaya. All right, well, Kaya, you can figure out well, what that energetic is. And so adding spices and pungent herbs to say more of a kapha constitution is movement. It's going to help the blood flow. It's going to help maybe some depression that might be settling with that water and earth. And so it's really trying to simplify Let's break it down to the elements of nature and let's observe what they are.
Yeah, that was such a big theme that I, I took from your book. And um, I've heard this from other great healers that I've interviewed throughout the years is this notion of study nature and just it will kind of reveal itself to you. But the other thing that you that you wrote in your book that I loved, you said, I credit this is what you wrote. You said, I credit the plants as teachers even more than as partners because their healing abilities are like none I have witnessed before. Wow. I mean, what a, what a, what a statement. I mean, why are, why do you think plants are such great teachers if we allow them to be? Right. Right. Thank you. Um, I'm kind of getting chills as you read that. <laughs> Who wrote that? <laughs> That's a great statement to pull all the things you pulled out. So, um, so essentially, you know, when you look at a pine tree or you look at uh, ferns, um, even horsetail herb, you know, these have been here 700 million years. Mm. They have been here so much longer than we've been. Maybe, maybe we're here a million years. You know, if you go to Australian Aborigines, you know, our presence on this planet, you know, in that Carl Sagan timeline is very, very recent. And so these uh, beings, these are sentient beings, um, as far as my teachings, um, they, we, I don't anthropomorphize the plants. They don't feel and think the way I do. They have their own intelligence. And, you know, we're learning about forest intelligence and communication and mother trees. But, you know, all this brand new science of mycelia and all of that is simply confirming, you know, what traditional peoples have been saying for millennia. And so our native peoples have been here for 10 and 15,000 years. And so these trees, they, they're not only teachers with their own intelligence that, you know, has observed, has experienced evolution, but that's what we're made of. You know, my bones are made of calcium and limestone and, you know, all of everything in our beings are part of the plant world so that when I drink a cup of nettles tea, those nutrients, that amino acid, that chlorophyll, that goes in my body very differently than if I were to take a supplement. If I were to take, say, a nutraceutical pill, because it's alive, it's it was alive and maybe it's dried now, but there's this resonance. There's something so familiar. And I think, you know, that's what happened to me in the Peace Corps. I don't know if I've ever had a cup of herbal tea in my life until that time. And it was a brew and it was intense and it was, you know, quite an event, but there was a resonance. There was something, this is so right. So I believe they're intelligent beings um, they have a tremendous amount of um, ways to show in different ways, whether that's journeying with the plant, whether that's dreaming. You know, I have so many clients and students that, you know, never engage with the plant that way, yet great benefits. So it's not a prerequisite. And also acknowledging something else, especially when you're medicine making, you know, medicine making is a huge piece of the puzzle in a way, because as I, I say in Medicine of the Place, I say place is the beginning. It's an alchemical process. And where you harvest a plant 
that's the medicine that you're harvesting from. And so being mindful of, is it my garden? Is it a field? Is it a riverside? Um, you are gathering that topography. You're gathering what was going on there. And so how you harvest it, my teacher's a Choctaw um, medicine woman, and she has very sacred ways of making medicine and calling in the spirit. Now, you'll see on Instagram, all kinds of people are now making tinctures and vinegars, and it's amazing. It's really wonderful. And also simply lighting a candle and just saying, you know, I want the St. John's word. I want the spirit of this plant. I acknowledge that there is something beyond just the physicality of this plant. And what that does is it really uh, increases and amplifies uh, the potential of where that can go in our bodies. And with you know, the endangerment of so many plants, I'm trying to move people into more of a drop dose um, tincturing. Like if we can get the same effects with less of the herbal material, then we're going to have the seven generations being able to harvest these plants, um, which is another part of working with that spirit aspect. You know, homeopathy, it's called spirit medicine. You're working with a certain form of vitality. It's the vital spirit of the plant. And we can have that in herbalism. doesn't have just to be flower essences. If your listeners know flower essences or homeopathy, um, that can come in many, many forms. It can be sitting next to a plant. Mm. Wow. Amazing. Um, Cat, <laughs> you know something that struck me is is too speaking of speaking of medicine and herbal medicine is that you know you remind us in in your book that you know people forget that herbal medicine was the main healthcare system only one hundred years ago, and Ayurveda and Chinese medicine all oh, they've only been around for five thousand years, and it's so interesting that we 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 often will call this alternative, and yet this is the most ancient deepest form of medicine that we've ever had right i mean we've never not had herbal medicine right because <laughs> we had it and we had to eat plants and we had to eat foods and you know i wasn't there in homo erectus the the early days but many um anthropologists say that we've gotten many remedies by watching primarily gorillas primarily mammals that are closest um to our systems but watching what the animals eat watching uh what they eat after um pregnancy after labor you know there's this huge study of you know seeing you know after giving birth you know going in and what herbs uh would the mother animal eat in order to completely clear the placenta and the whole afterbirth so I know it's only a hundred years. It's so funny how, how you know, close, close in our memories. You know, we don't have to go back that many generations. And I do want to say that, you know, they say oh, in the 60s and the 70s, there was a revival of herbal medicine. And now it's uh, very popular. But I also want to give credence to the um, people of color, uh, to the southern folk healers. You know, there are places, Drew, in the United States where herbal medicine never 
came out of use because, you know, rich people would go to the doctor. You know, you went to the doctor when you were on your deathbed. And there are pockets, kind of invisible places in our country where, you know, it never went away. Um, and they're the treasures, and, and that's where all those stories are. Um, but yeah, we don't have to go that far back um, to find um, any, whether we're white, black, brown, um, it, it's close. It's close in our families. Absolutely. And I mean, you also, um, Kat, you, you've also worked as a, as a doctor's, what is it, a physician's assistant. Um, so you, ha- you have that other side of the, of the, of the picture here. And and I know you, you you mentioned that you saw firsthand many of the limitations of our traditional, our so-called traditional allopathic medicine, limited time with patients, chasing numbers, as you said, uh, but not really getting to the heart of someone's healthy terrain. Um, so so you've really seen both, I guess, both sides of the coin. Yeah, it's funny when you were earlier, uh, Drew, talking about turn of medicine, I you know, I have deep respect for allopathy. I went to school to become an allopath, a physician's assistant. It was sort of a microdose, of, uh, if you will, of medical school. I didn't want the full Monty of medical school because I really wanted more plants. Uh, but I wanted to work with low income. I wanted to work in certain populations and herbal medicine was not a portal um, to working with certain populations. So I thought, well, let me get a, you know, work in allopathy work in a clinic, you know, figure out my entrance there and then bring herbs in. So I have great uh, reverence. And for me, the AMA is the Alternative Medical (laughs) Association. So it's sort of like, you know, we should go there in emergency or we should go when all else fails. And and that's definitely not the, the case today. It's for the primary and um, first world nations, but you know that is changing, uh, and it's alternative to who, and it's sort of alternative to the ruling class. And when we look at the who, you know, the statistics of the World Health Organization, I don't know. I've traveled a good amount, um, and I've seen a lot of modern medicine. But the World Health Organization says eighty percent of the world's population uses herbal medicine uses some form of natural medicine. So when we say alternative, it's definitely kind of that colonizer's lens, if you will. I mean, this is is not alternative to so many people around the planet. Uh, It's just kind of their teas, their food. You know, it's not as though they, they make tinctures. You know, they bring herbs and foods into their diet, into the, the spice rack, our digestive spice rack. All of those herbs are for the digestive system, all of the culinaries, you know, the rosemary, the sage, their preservatives, you know, their aromatics, you know, they're the preservatives and antioxidants. So, you know, it's just been part of how we've been living. And fortunately, we're going back to that. Mm, that's beautiful. Um so, so Kat, for someone listening right now who who wants to, who's interested in this, who who sees this as a, as something that could be really helpful in their life for themselves and their family, how, how would someone get started in in herbalism and herbal medicine? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, with, since COVID, <laughs> there has been just 
uh, an explosion of online programs. Um, and there are some fabulous, fabulous schools that have online. And uh, I don't know if I can give you resources that you can put into your the notes that people can go back in and find. Um, one of the things that I really stress is if you want to learn herbal medicine, learn about it from an herbalist. So there's a lot of information out there, but have they been practicing? Are they a practicing herbalist? And so the American Herbalist Guild is our professional organization. And AHG uh, has lists of professional members all across the country. Uh, for a while, I was on the committee for admitting herbalists to become a professional member. And all that that means is, you know, herbalism has magnificently escaped the world of licensure. And as a PA, I sat very firmly on both sides. You know, yes, we need to license. We need third-party payment. We need good standards of practice. And then as I watched naturopathy and other professions, I thought, we need to keep herbalism. Uh, I think you even had a great guest, herbalism for the people. And, you know, it, it, we really want to uh, safeguard herbalism. And so how do we ensure, though, who we're going to see and are they trained? So the American Herbalist Guild has a fabulous website. They answered lots and lots of questions. How do I choose an herbalist? You put in your state. There's also these schools that are listed. Um, they have a great list of schools that are members. Uh, and I love Mountain Rose Herbs. It's a a great company that's worked ecologically, and they have wonderful resources um, of different schools that are there. And I'm happy to um, to kind of put in my favorites. But, you know, to start, you know, look up a local herbalist, you know, see if there's an herbalist. You know, my main staff person, uh, Heather, she went to the Clayton College of Natural Healing years ago. And the first assignment that they gave her and it was an online course they said go find a local herbalist in your community and she found me and I love that story because she's gone on to the clinical program she's has a burgeoning practice she's a staff member here so they're there um, so if you really try to find somebody in your area um, even if they're not practicing somebody that is uh, skilled in identification or foraging. I think more and more there's some really good wild food foragers, but you want to get with the plants. You want to smell them. You want to know they are before you taste them. You want to watch them grow. I have lots of urban students and they have balconies <laughs> full of containers and they're growing ginseng and they're growing nettles. And, you know, you don't have to be limited by, oh, I, I'll get my house in the country. You know, I have a um, downtown urban sanctuary, botanical sanctuary where, um, the whole idea is to show, wow, we can grow rare and endangered medicines right in our lawn, right in our backyard. And that's really what we have to be doing now. This is pretty critical that we're growing the plants and we're understanding how do we use 
and the ones that are incredibly abundant, whether it's dandelion, burdock, plantain. And, and that's why I focused on in my Materia Medica in the book, which was so incredibly hard to only choose 25 plants, but they're, they're available. They're available in the Northwest of the country, in the desert. You're gonna find chickweed, you're gonna find plantain. Um, and these are sustainable medicines that have been used, used literally for millennia. Mm, that's beautiful. Um, Kat, what are some of the daily practices that you have that make you feel the most alive? Mm, wow. Alive. Uh, well, outside, obviously. Uh, being outside. Uh, I'm a walker. I love walking. And one of my kind of contemplations uh, with walking is, you know, we hear about forest bathing and different things, but what I love doing is just really noticing the elm or the willow or looking at a tree. And I don't even have to know the name of it, but it takes me out of myself. Uh, we're, we're, I, I'm self-absorbed. We're all pretty self-absorbed. It's hard not to be. We have great lives and we, we like doing a lot of things. But when I'm outside and I'm really looking at a plant, I'm engaging, I'm out of myself. And that drops me down into kind of a parasympathetic place. And so when I'm doing that, a lot of times I go into wide angle. And I explain that technique in the book, but wide angle vision uh, is sort of the hunter, is the tracker. Um, it drops you into parasympathetic mode. And so you're out of that sympathomimetic uh, focus, fight or flight. You know, I don't want to be listening to a lot. I just really want to be in a wide angle and really taking in the environs. Um, so I love walking. Um, I'm a practitioner of yoga. But, you know, it's funny when I just started bringing back, I used to do Tai Chi all the time. And then it kind of fell, how certain habits and practices fall away. But why I love Tai Chi is it's moving energy. It's, you know, moving energy into my bones as I'm getting older and I'm looking at bone health. That's the whole focus of Tai Chi is to get Chi um, into your bones. But it's also slow. And I really need to <laughs> after the book and after schools and zooming and you know, I it, I just have really been loving uh, resurrecting my Tai Chi practice. I'm even taking I mean I usually teach it today, but I'm now taking beginner classes and it's and it's perfect. You know, I might, we might do two moves in an hour and I'm like, this rocks. This is so wonderful. Um, so there are, there are a few of my favorite things. That's great. Um, Kat, if someone was with you right now, they were feeling a little hopeless and powerless. What might you tell them or what, what are some practices that you might offer them to help to take their life in a new direction? Well, when in doubt, use nettles tea. Um Nettles, you know, it's it's hard for anyone, whether they ever had an herbal tea, to not drink nettles and feel something, something nourishing, something nutritive, and it might might not even be on the conscious level. 
Uh, I think I love teaching um, wide angle because it's free, it's accessible, it's very easy to learn, and it's it's a practice that you can get into to get into your heart. And so what parasympathetic really is, is you're sitting in your heart space. And since our heart is the largest organ of perception, when we're walking in our heart, when we're trying to live there, we're really perceiving the environment not as somebody told us, not as a mental construct, not in the future, but it's in that moment. So you could say deep breathing, but really teaching somebody that technique uh, has been life-changing for so many people. Mm. And I know you go into it in the book. Can you give us a quick rundown for um, for someone just listening right now? If they're if they're listening on their walk, maybe they're taking a walk somewhere. Just just give us a quick, if you could, a, an idea of what is the wide angle wide angle technique. I'd love to. Sometimes I think skullcap or certain nervings should be in our water system. <laughs> you know that would really help. And so if wide angle were you know out there on on the media. So the simplest way is to stand, and it's, the, the, it's best to do it outside, but you can do it anywhere. But if you stand, um, stand relaxed, and you put both, you um, put your arms out in front of you, and you start wiggling your fingers, and then what you're doing is you're bringing slowly, you keep looking forward, but you follow your wiggling fingers to both sides. And when you can't see your fingers wiggling anymore, you hold that, and that's a softer vision, and that's what wide-angle vision is, your peripheral vision. You can do that 360, martial artists, um, you know, kung fu, so much is about a 360 view and perceiving, um, but you have, to, you have to repeat that. It, it's a practice. Um, but when you feel that and you soften the gaze, and especially if you're standing outside, you're all of a sudden off to your right, you see a leaf move, and then you hear a sound you may not have heard. And so all of your senses are heightened. Um, everything kind of comes online, and you begin to perceive very subtle movement, and you're out of your mind. Mm. Wow, that's so, so powerful. So incredibly powerful. Did that was that a good explanation? You think <laughs> that was great. I, w I was doing it while you were you were you were talking. It, it's it's fantastic. I feel. Um, I think anybody that's out there, I hope you guys are doing it along with us. It's it's so powerful. Um, <clears throat> so, Kat, my final question: If you had the opportunity to travel back in time, say forty years or so, um, what words of wisdom would your current self share with your younger self? Well, 40 years ago, I was in Chile, so I'd probably say I'd drink some more of those fine, fine Chilean wines. <laughs> um, I really did um, enjoy them. Um, gosh, you know, Drew, I, I think I'd have to say, I mean, I was on my path. I was fortunate to be really clear. I think I'd say relax. Uh Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey more. And don't be so frightened of not reaching the goal. Mm. And 
you know, herbalism then was really undefined in the United States. And we really were crafting who we were as we were coming forward unless indigenous people had that. So we were hustling. We were uncertain. Is this is this going to be viable for us? And and so it, it's relaxing and enjoying the journey. Beautiful. You know, Kat, I, I heard recently uh, from Gandhi had said something to the effect of, you know, he was asked, you know, what is your message to the world? And he, and he said, my life is my message. Um, Kat, you know, what do you think the message is if, and I don't know if this is like a, this is an odd question, but it just kind of popped into my mind. What message do you think the plants would would want to tell us if they if they if they were on the show today with us you know and i know we can't speak for all of them together but what do you think they would want to communicate to us Ooh, that's a heavy <laughs> it just popped into well, my head but so well the the first that came into my body was breathe um you know that that just really listening, kind of going out my window and looking at the trees and I'm kind of sitting here asking them, wow, what would you say? So the first thing that came to me uh, was breathe. And um, God, enjoy life. They look at how they flower. Look at how they survive. Look at how they're migrating. They're migrating with climate change. You know, they're evolving. You know, ginseng survived the ice age. You know, we think we have stress. This is a rooted creature watching the ice age and it adapted and to stress and uh, it, 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 it survived and it was incredibly resilient. Uh, and it just took all of its environment. It took everything it was given. And it became that alchemical process of how do I do this? How do I morph into what I need to be given the changing environment? Mm -hmm. um, so resilience and adaptation uh, are also incredible teachings uh, from the plant king and queendom. That's so great. Um, Kat, if people want to learn more about you, your work, your new book, where should they go to find you? Oh, okay. So the book is at um, either the Chelsea Green website. Uh, my book's website is katmeyerherbalism.com. Uh, and we're trying to get it into some local bookstores. And then my school and my center is sacredplanttraditions.com. There you go. We'll put it all in the show notes as well. Kat, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, Drew, this was really, really enjoyable. You really made it so much fun. So thank oh, you. Oh, so happy. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.